Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. A lot to talk to you guys today about uh, what's been happening in the last week or two, especially as the Republican Party gets ready for elections. We find a number of the candidates beginning to express where their America first policies lie. And I want to sort of tease out some of those ideas. Uh, We saw it in the Ohio Senate race with J.D. Vance uh, winning. We saw it in the Pennsylvania race now. uh, That's uh, a few days away. And by the time you listen to this, uh, uh, that result will probably be in. So um, we'll get to that and uh, also look at what's happening with the JCPOA, the Iranian nuclear deal, and and not necessarily the specifics, but more what's been happening with that. And talking about a post-American world, before I dive into all of that, our country has been shaken again by a mass shooting in Buffalo. This mass shooting is is another unspeakable horror by uh, a, a evil, satanic 18-year-old that decided to shoot his way through a Topps grocery store. It's clearly an act of terrorism. He had a manifesto that uh, uh, has been found and apparently uh, is uh, directly connected to what he did. And with uh, sort of hearkening back to the Christchurch, New Zealand shootings into the mosques, uh, the killer there wore a uh, head cam and tried to broadcast it on social media. The heroes that, again, we see time and time again that try to save as much life as they can when these acts of horrific violence happen, we're now starting to hear their stories. Aaron Salter, a security guard that shot the perpetrator, I believe multiple times, but he had a Kevlar vest on. Ruth Winfield, the 86-year-old mother, retired fire commissioner. Catherine Massey, who had gone to pick up groceries. Pearlie Young, a 77-year-old grandmother and missionary. Just some of the 10 victims in the Buffalo mass shooting. As Aaron County Sheriff John Garcia said, this was pure evil. In a news conference on the day it happened, May 14, it was a straight-up racially motivated hate crime from somebody outside of our community. Apparently, he came from about three and a half hours away in New York and wanted to obviously target a predominantly African-American community. According to authorities, 11 of the 13 victims who were shot were black and two were white. The victims included four store employees. The suspect accused of killing 10 and injuring 3 tried to live stream it on video. And, as is not a surprise, he was not only a lone wolf, but a known wolf. Someone who had reported to his high school that he wanted to commit an act of mass murder. He was interviewed. And his case somehow 
went away. And yes, mental health, many of us in the medical community and elsewhere have been calling for better scrutiny when it comes to the ability of folks who have antisocial personality disorder, psychosis, and other things to be able to obtain weapons. Now, obviously, personal freedoms, not only the freedom to bear arms as a Second Amendment, but more importantly, the freedom for healthcare privacy from the government that can then be abused in a number of other areas, employers and others that may find out. So this is one one of the obstacles that this has been limited in its progress. But I think we're reminded again that this is important. And what is going on with these known wolves? How many time and time again do we see folks that individual monsters that commit acts of militancy and and disgusting mayhem were before the authorities months to a few years ahead. Every time one of these things happens, we, we, we were reminded of the heroism of our citizenry, of the steep price that we pay for freedom and democracy, that along with every benefit in life comes risks. But our prayers, my prayers, to the families of those who are slain and the, to those who are suffering an unspeakable suffering as a result of the horror that this racist, this animal committed on our fellow citizens. There'll be more to come. I will tell you that already we're starting to see quickly. It's interesting to me, if you truly care about root causes and you truly care about diagnosing the reality of the background of what fuels the conveyor belt of militants, then when the Boston bombers happen and some of us start talking about the mosques they went to, the anti-Semitism that was preached and the misogyny and, and anti-Westernism, anti-Americanism that is the ideology that these individuals were radicalized with, everybody said, oh, you cannot connect it, etc. Same thing with Fort Hood, same thing on and on. But now already within 24 hours, if you search the term Fox News, you will see a horrific number of careless commentary about somehow that this is related to conservative criticism of open borders and immigration policy. There's no doubt that as somebody who believes in strong borders and who believes who has a son of a the son of parents who immigrated legally into the United States that I'd like to see smarter more appropriate rule of law when it comes to immigration but this kind of 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 racist evil in which this manifesto supposedly talked about replacement theory and other things there are many of us that are very pro immigration that see America as that shining city, that shining beacon on a hill that can only be America if it remains welcome to immigrants alike, but who come here legally, who come here for that American dream, for that freedom, for that liberty and democracy, not because 
they snuck in, not because of just economic reasons or whatever it might be. So we should be able to have that conversation as a country and not then claim that we are somehow responsible for the actions of militant, satanic creatures that are inhumane. And it's one thing to, to, to call for immigration policies that are legal, that are smart, that do not compromise our national security. And it's another thing to use anti-Semitic tropes to, to, as you can see from whatever was found, a heavy.com posted some of the quotations from his manifesto. I'm not going to read them to you, but bottom line is, is this man uh, was a white supremacist by at least the language that I read. And the white supremacism saw America as a white country that was being invaded by those who are not white. There's nothing more evil than that ideology. We fought world wars against Nazism and other forms of fascist race supremacism. And I'll go back to the Islamic example. I, as a Muslim, a devout Muslim who loves my faith, am able to separate the fact that my faith can be an inspiration for love, compassion, humanity, genuine morality, and also realize that that same faith, through the twisted and dominant interpretations of Wahhabism, Salafism, and global political Islam can also be an instrument for global massive radicalization. And even despite this shooting as of a few days ago, I still believe deeply in my heart that jihadism is a far, far bigger global and domestic problem than white supremacism is. And I know the FBI and others are starting to shift massive priorities to say that fighting white supremacism is the current chief priority. It should be one of our top priorities, absolutely. But to see how much we have surrendered now in the fight against global jihad as they're working with our enemies, including China, Russia, Iran, and other of the red-green axis, I think it's time to wake up. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can fight whatever white supremacism exists here and look at how many of these individuals are radicalized if this individual was. You know, one of the things with radical Islamists is rarely is there actually psychiatric diagnosis. These individuals are driven by a, a eschatological supremacism that they will dominate, that they will achieve heaven by uh, committing an act of uh, suicide and an act of war that they claim to be jihad. Uh, but they're not uh, in many ways, and we can have a debate about this. I'm sure many of you might disagree with this, but they're, they are not diagnosable through uh, the DSM-5 or 4, whatever we're on now in the psychiatric diagnoses as axis 1, major depression, axis 2, psychosis, or antisocial behavior. Granted, they don't apply themselves to the laws, but it's really a political ideology. And this is where we lost so much time since 9-11 as the political correctness police wanted to 
avoid the conversation about the incompatibility of political Islam with Western ideas. And now we see another form of what they call violent extremism. I call terrorism. And that terrorism is emanating from individuals that are not only white supremacists, but uh, also, as we saw just a few months ago, an individual that had been radicalized by the separatist at least seemed to have an affinity for some of the separatism of the nation of Islam, or at least the race baiting of Louis Farrakhan and others. So all of this, the ends justifies the means ideologies. We need to go upstream. We need to figure out where it's coming from, but also proportionately put it in its right box, put it in its right frame. Sadly, sadly, this guy, before he went into the Topps grocery store to slaughter our citizens, had already been interviewed by authorities, had already talked about wanting to slaughter them. So there are many points to be learned in each case. The known wolf strikes again. Let's keep it proportionate, though. And let's not misdirect the conversation to folks that are concerned about immigration policy, folks that are concerned about rule of law, that love the immigration identity of America. Because that kind of sloppy narrative that I see coming from the left now in the last few days happens every time when it suits their purposes, but when it does not suit the purposes, as we see with Islamism, you don't hear it. The hypocrisy is just absurd. When we come back, let's talk about Senate races and their ideologies on America First. We're back. Let's get caught up a little bit about sort of where a post-Trump ideology is panning out for conservatives, for the Republican Party and others. And and specifically, I think about the issues that I feel I can uh, more expertly walk through with you. Um, And I think two races, one is the Ohio race and the Pennsylvania race, I think are beginning to clarify a little bit about where the conservative movement is when it comes to security issues, national and global security, uh, budgetary constraints. And there's no doubt that this is not the Bush party of the early 2000s or of 1988 uh, for uh, Bush 41 or 43. That was a, that was a, a party that Uh, really operated with largesse that uh, did not really care much about deficits and also significantly about spending when it came to especially national defense. Now we see the party that is beginning to identify some of its new icons and names, and uh, J.D. Vance is one of them in Ohio, and he won uh, uh, in Ohio uh, a few weeks ago. And 
as you look at that, I think Cliff may really set the tone right. Cliff is the head of the Foundations for the Defense of Democracy and uh, noted in a piece in the Washington Times this week, Ukraine, Russia, and the U.S. national interest, a, a letter to J.D. Vance. And I'll read you a few th- a few lines from it, and then I, I want to talk to you about it because I think it it nails one of the issues. Because be careful for 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 looking at extremes here. First of all, you've got the extremes, which is extreme isolationism. Let's not do anything. Sort of the libertarian mindset in that, uh, and they always cite uh, President Washington's uh, final farewell address, in which he said, "Conflicts abroad, off our shore, are not our concerns." Etc. And uh, the libertarian economic mindset um, is one, and then you've got the more interventional mindset, uh, which uh, looked at the fact that we had a mission to build nations, etc., which was a more nation-building uh, process. And and uh, um, in between that, I think are eighty to ninety percent of conservatives who feel that America has a role feel that our sons and daughters should not die for anything unless it truly, truly is a national security imperative that without their without their life on the line, many of us would be would be lost and insecure. So that is the debate they're having. Cliff May opens, he says, or may I call you JD? Dear Mr. Vance, or may I call you J.D., congratulations on winning the Ohio Senate primary. What an amazing American journey you're having. Count me among the millions of readers inspired by Hillbilly Elegy, the story of your escape from a dysfunctional subculture, not through government programs that encourage dependency, but through your own agency, with help from a tough, loving grandmother and the discipline you internalized as a Marine. And I'm writing you today about a different subject. Statements you made recently have left people with the impression that you're unmoved by Vladimir Putin's rape of Ukraine and that you're tending toward isolationism. On a February 19 podcast, you said, I don't really care what happens to Ukraine one way or another. Of course, that was five days before the Russian offensive, a time when most analysts expected Ukrainians to be quickly overwhelmed by superior Russian military power. And this is the key. Instead, And despite multiple Russian atrocities intended to terrorize them, Ukrainians have displayed extraordinary courage, resilience, and determination in defense of their homeland, independence, and freedom. The now famous response of Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky to an American offer to get him out of the country, he said, I need ammunition, not a ride. Given your history, you must admire and support that spirit. Or am I wrong? And then... May goes on to talk about how he gave, Vance gave a a very convincing takedown of the no-fly zone asked for by some conservatives. And I agree with that. I'm a Syrian-American, and I wanted America to have a, a, to be the strong horse in the battle for Syria and let that civil war evolve, but without a no-fly zone. Now, if that no-fly zone could have been done before Russia got involved, then I might have been for it. But when you engage a nuclear power no fly meanings that you will shoot down any any jet that that defies that then you're putting at risk entering into a global world war 3 and i was against it in syria and i'm against it in ukraine but just because you're not against just because you're against a no fly zone does not mean that 
somehow you see America's approach to Ukraine as being completely hands off or one that in which we don't take sides. And this is the issue is that in an effort to cajole in a populist way, voters who I think sometimes we, we underestimate, I'm sorry, we, yeah, we underestimate their intelligence and ability to understand that we wouldn't be for sending tens of billions of dollars. We wouldn't be in, we don't have to be in for sending our sons and daughters to fight in a war that is not our conflict, but you can be in for taking sides. And if one side is going to be belligerent, meaning Ukraine is defending itself against the belligerence of Russia, then how can we be afraid to have a response to that by saying that that will then be a trigger to world war? Somehow, if we provide jets, if we provide missiles, if we provide ammunition and tanks, we did that for a long time in the Vietnam War during the Cold War, and we provided soldiers there, but many other proxy wars. And with that, with that proxy war comes an ability to, to push them back before they get into Cuba, into uh, South America, Central America, and anywhere else. And as Russia is pushing its way into Europe, this is why now, along with this invasion of Ukraine, you all of a sudden find Finland and Sweden deciding that they want to be part of NATO. And and God bless President Trump for trying to get the other NATO parties to uh, um, participate and pay more of what they have due rather than us footing the bill for whatever, 20, 30% of NATO, which is absurd. And I think that connection is so important, but you can do both. It doesn't have to be either we're anti-NATO and we want to drop out of it or we are uh, uh, pro-Russian if we're not going to support Ukraine. That is that is absurd. Cliff May continues, you also write, I'll be damned if I'm going to prioritize Ukraine's eastern border right now when our southern border is engulfed by a human tsunami of illegal migrants. That's a false choice, as Cliff says. Long before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, President Biden decided for ideological and political reasons not to defend our border or seriously vet those streaming into our country. What we need is an administration that prioritizes America's national security interests both at home and abroad. You know what would be preferable to supporting Ukrainians today? If we had supported Ukrainians years ago, certainly starting in 2014 after Putin seized Crimea and sent forces into the Dubas, Donbass, which has been a bloody conflict zone ever since. The Ukrainians asked President Obama for defensive military assistance. He turned them down repeatedly. A bad decision? No. Similarly, Biden was recent, until recently unwilling to send Zelensky weaponry that might have deterred Putin. His policy instead was not to provoke the Russian ruler. And I'll remind you, Obama said, oh, wait till my second term and I can be more free to talk to Putin. And then May goes on to talk about the more broadly about America's national security. Putin and China's ruler, Xi Jinping, proclaimed a new political and military alliance that is to have no limits and no forbidden areas of cooperation. The Islamic Republic of Iran, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua are making common cause 
with this alliance because they all want to diminish the United States and make the world safe for tyrants and neo-imperialists. So you see, this somewhat divorced reality, it's interesting to me that many of the conservatives who are so against us antagonizing Russia and are sometimes basically parroting some of the lines of Moscow are very anti-China. I don't know how you can harbor both ideas at the same time. You And again, we're not talking about being willfully wanting to enter a war against Russia, but we're saying at least be consistent and realize the connection that, that our responding with, with peace through strength, us responding with that we will help those who support many of, not obviously Ukraine has its problems, but it supports many of our values of freedom and liberty. And May points out in his piece at the Times that JD would have a, JD Vance would be, would be good to remember that. Now, Vance is somewhat overcorrecting. He started the campaign back in 16, was uh, supposedly a, a never Trumper and now evolved after that. And, and, you know, listen, there's a lot to learn from why President Trump got traction among the populist right and, and what are the ideas there that are now shifting in the priorities that we should have as a country. And I, I agree with many of them. I think we are going to go bankrupt if we continue to print money and send it abroad and, and all the things that are part of what is considered now part of the America First platform. But it can't be done in isolation. It can't be done in an abandonment of our allies. And it can't be done in a sense that right now 70% of the world lives under some form of tyranny and autocracy. And that's going to be 75, 80%. And pretty soon it's just going to be Europe and the United States and Canada and Australia left as democracies. And the rest will be either theocracies of Islamism or Russian oligarchies or Chinese communist socialist autocracies with a peppering of smaller countries around the world that unite to try to defeat us in the West. And right now, the only thing keeping us on top is not only our military superiority, but our economic superiority and the ingenuity of the companies like Tesla and Google, Microsoft and others that are still keeping us, are still keeping us dominant in the world. You know, you look at the other Senate race, which was in Pennsylvania, that's gotten a lot of attention. And you have, I'm not going to get into the details of, the, of all three candidates, but you have the, the main matchup so far has been between McCormick and Mehmet Oz. And it's interesting, Oz got the endorsement of President Trump. And McCormick is sort of being painted as the traditional sort of, uh, you know, as the pejorative, now it's become a pejorative, the neoconservative and, you know, the... Um, the one who likes to nation build, et cetera. Now, if you listen to his campaign and elsewhere, he has navigated a bit of a more of a, a centrist position on that, more moderate position on what is America's role in the world. 
My concern that hasn't come up now, what would be amazing is Dr. Oz would be the first Muslim in the Senate. And I've never, ha- I haven't had the opportunity to talk to him, but his position on Turkey to me concerns me. He claimed that he needed dual citizenship in order to have some rights in the estate of his family. 2017, I think, he voted in the Turkish elections, which is concerning. His position on political Islam is unknown, which is really the key that that I'm concerned about. And it's interesting to me that all of these issues, if you truly were about America first, from a populist perspective, that these would be front and center things that he would clarify immediately. Set aside whether his conservative bona fides are real when it comes to being pro-life, when it comes to national security, when it comes to free markets and other things and anti-Obamacare, etc. Socialism and other litmus test issues for American conservatism. But the battle against political Islam has not had a clearer setting on display than Turkey. The AKP in charge with Erdogan is basically the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey. And it has taken over, imprisoned journalists, imprisoned professors, and and tens of thousands. And you know who's been silent on the Pennsylvania race is and it's Cantor, the celebrity basketball player who now doesn't have a team, but basically has been very outspoken. Now, he comes from the Gulenist movement, but has been outspoken about American corporate kleptocracy when it comes to feeding into regimes like Turkey, China, and others. He hasn't said anything about Oz, which I find interesting because Oz seems to be quiet when it comes to minorities in Turkey. What's Oz's position on the Hagia Sophia, the church in Istanbul that Erdogan believes for a while it was just a museum and things at least had stabilized that way, but then they want to make it into a mosque, which we on the U.S. Commission of International Religious Freedom pointed out was a, a major inflammatory move that would only set religious freedom back significantly in Turkey, where barely 1% of the population is non-Muslim. So there's a lot of debate, rancor, uh, shifting of positions to see what's going to happen in the Pennsylvania race. But watch it. I think one of the reasons a third candidate has come up who is funded to the tune of 5-10% of the other candidates is because she is really, it, it seems that her message is pretty, is much clearer and not flip-flopping. And I think the voters, again, are, are not, uh, they are, are very intelligent and would much rather, rather have somebody who's straightforward and honest with them than somebody who shapeshifts in order to obtain a voting block. Well, thank you for being with me this week. We have covered a lot of ground. Um, next time, we're going to talk about American exceptionalism or unexceptionalism, if you will, and what should our philosophy be when it comes to not only the Iran deal, but what is the Biden's, Biden administration's role and ideas 
and the policy that it is pushing or not pushing across the Middle East and why America is weaker than it's ever been. We'll be back with the next podcast on Reform This. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Reform This Radio. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.